0: Good afternoon. You're listening to KGPR, Great Falls at 89.9 FM. I am Matt Donnelly, and here in the studio with me is Great Falls Symphony music director and conductor Grant Harville, and as always, a pleasure seeing you again. Yeah,
1: it's great to be back, Matt.
0: The Great Falls Symphony is going to take a trip into outer space and exploring the solar system with the association of one of the most iconic classical pieces of the 20th century.
1: Yeah, uh, um, actually, our our, our whole program is a little bit sort of... uh heavenly directed, you might say. We're doing (laughs) two pieces on the upcoming program. Um, The one you're referring to is The Planets uh, by Gustav Holst, certainly his most famous piece, and one of the most uh, sort of famous and popular orchestra pieces of all time, probably. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, One of the weird sort of ironies about it is that um, it really, uh, it has nothing to do with astronomy, and uh, nothing to do with mythology. What it, what it is all about is astrology. Ah. And I suppose there's sort of intersections uh, among all three of those. But, um, you know, all of the movement titles, there are seven of them. So there's no Earth and uh, there's no Pluto, which I guess Holst was sort of early to the Pluto isn't a planet party. <laughs> um, but uh, the ones that he does include, um, they're each uh, described as, for the most part, as uh, bringing something um, so Mars, the bringer of war, and Venus, the bringer of peace, and Saturn, the bringer of old age. And um, and these are all, the idea is that these are actually sort of character pieces for human personality. Ooh. Um, so uh, it has much less to do with giant spheres way far away, mm-hmm. and much more to do about these kind of, very kind of archetypes of uh, human behavior, human Ooh. motivation. So... Um, it's still very sort of monumental in that way, in that we're talking about these kind of iconic forms of human experience. Mm-hmm. They're just much more sort of, uh, again, sort of internal monuments rather than far-off distant monuments.
0: And I guess it's just kind of like the feeling, you know, like if you, if you associate Mars with uh, war, you know, like uh, since uh, um – Mars was considered the god of war uh, in Roman standards and plus it's a red planet
1: yeah and you know again these things have some sort of weird intersections but you know uh, so Holst um, was very much into astrology Mm -hmm. and he had his sort of book of astrology that he was kind of using as a jumping off point for each of these and um, yeah as I say the the sort of connection between astrology and mythology is is interesting but Mm -hmm. in some cases it's very different you know uh, Neptune, as sort of the god of the sea, has nothing to do with the Neptune of this version of the planets. Neptune mm-hmm. is the mystic, the one who can affect people 's psyches, the one Wow the planet of the um, the the medium and the psychic and things like that. so um, some of them do, like as you say, Mars, sort of connect to their uh, uh, mythological character, mm-hmm. but some of them really don 't you know even Venus. Uh, who's the goddess of love, uh, Roman Mm -hmm. goddess of love, Uh, the bringer of peace isn't quite the same thing, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's, uh, um, again, it's a very sort of slightly different touch. But I I think, again, if you're listening to this, what you hear, of course, is not, you know, it's not about some god walking by doing something, and it's certainly not about, as I say, some ball of rock in outer space.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's about, uh, again, these very kind of broad strokes characterization of human motivation and behavior and um it's i think one of the reasons it's so popular is that um it is very kind of direct in the expression of each of these Mm -hmm. so you're talking about mars um you know it's got this constant drum beat going it's got these really funky kind of edgy dissonances Mm -hmm. and things like that um these uh tuba fanfares these trumpet fanfares (laughs) um you don't have to guess what the music is about right Mm -hmm. Uh, and (laughs) i think it has a sort of immediacy of expression which people like um you know anybody listening to venus is not going to wonder is this peaceful music or not it's extremely peaceful Mm -hmm. music um there's so much happiness in jupiter the bringer of Mm jollity um and neptune which is um objectively the best movement is uh, <laughs> the last one of the suite which sort of um it's the one where the women's chorus sings yeah and mm-hmm. it just um and they don't sing any words right they just sing sort of this high floating chorus of oz um offstage and it just sort of fades into nothing and it's so vague the, mm-hmm. the harps are playing the celesta which sort of keyboard bell instrument is yeah playing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: um and it's a uh, it's, it's really, again, it's one of those things where it's like, I wonder if this is mysterious music or not. No, you're going to know that this is mysterious music. It's mm-hmm. It it's so gets to the heart of um, uh, what the kind of mood, the attitude, the character of each of these really directly. And um, mm-hmm. I think that obviousness is um, why um, it's so easy for audiences to relate to.
0: Yeah, Especially with the, con- like, the bellicose sounds of mars and the peacefulness of venus even though the planet venus itself is extremely hot <laughs> not, not <laughs> it's a pleasant not place to go yeah <laughs> no yeah. it's not peaceful at all
1: not recommended for vacation nope
0: yeah. <laughs> and then uh, mercury's very flighty and uh, jupiter's very happy and uh, like I said the bringer of jollity and then right. saturn kind of plods a little bit you hear like uh, there's it's kind of inspired by a clock you hear that tick tock at yeah. the beginning of the uh Piece.
1: yeah so saturn as, a, as i say the bringer of old age you can definitely hear it's this sort of this uh very constant set of moving chords and you can really hear the sort of passage of time um you know mercury is an interesting one because it's called the messenger mm-hmm. and, and that is definitely uh more closely connected to the mythological uh sort of hermes mm-hmm. um, but what's interesting about that one is that the orchestra many of the instruments are in two different keys yeah and so um it, there's a sense that you're um sort of going back and forth between two different places on constantly, sort of the mm-hmm. way a messenger uh, would. Um, the other one we haven't described is uh, Uranus, who's the yep. magician, <laughs> right? And a lot of people who know Sorcerer's Apprentice, the yep. copies from uh, Fantasia, um, uh, will hear the connection there. It, it has a certain kind of... Um, uh, The same kind of sort of bouncing uh, Mm -hmm. groove that Sorcerer's Apprentice has. This one's a little bit more, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, things seem to be going wrong constantly for this particular magician with Mm -hmm. various explosions and things like that. But
0: it's almost like the Sorcerer's Apprentice, but it's almost like it's kind of beefed up a little bit. Yeah.
1: And I I think you can say that about a lot of this piece. Um, I actually have a little bit of sort of personal history with this one, uh, (laughs) When I was in uh, when I was 12 years old, I was in sixth grade, um, my dad, who was at the time sort of an accountant by trade, but he was a singer and a piano player and he actually brought home from the library the score to this piece to the planets mm. for me to look at and I've no idea why um, <laughs> beyond just sort of you know encourage your children's interests but this is the first score I ever looked at and um, so it's one that you know I would sit and I, I had my own CD of it and I would sort of listen and turn the pages. And wow. um, so uh, my first experience actually seeing what an orchestra score looked like, which uh, in some ways gave me a very strange uh, conception of what an orchestra is because this is not a very typical orchestra. This is an enormous orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, quadruple woodwinds, uh, six horns, um, tenor tuba, you know, bass oboe. Mm-hmm. Um, a, you know, bass oboe, which is an instrument that nobody plays anywhere else ever and here oh I am. yeah
0: that's the kind of a rare instrument ext- plus extremely rare yeah and they even have an organ in there too yeah
1: um the organ part's technically optional but they have the celesta and the two harps and um two timpani two timpani players wow um so it's it's one of your largest orchestras uh, mm-hmm. it's probably the largest orchestra of a piece that gets played a lot mm-hmm. and um so, so yeah, as you say, uh, you know, beefed up version of *Sorcerer's Apprentice*. *Sorcerer's Apprentice* is a pretty big orchestra too, but a lot of what, again, the sort of power of the piece comes from is that this isn't a piece that relies on t- small gestures. Mm-hmm. This is a piece where uh, part of its effect is the sheer size of it. So, mm-hmm. as I say, you don't sort of have to wonder. Um, what the mood is at any given time. And and part of the way that happens is the way that it's orchestrated, um, um, the sheer power of uh, some of it. And uh, some of it is um, just the way the orchestra is sort of distributed. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons it has a large orchestra is that there are a lot of times when Holst says, you know, I want this to all be in one kind of sound. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to do that is to make sure that I have six of this instrument, (laughs) you know, to make sure I get the full sonority with that instrument. So, um, yeah, uh, as I say, it's um, uh, the the immediacy of the expression is, is, uh, again, one of the reasons, probably the main reason why it um, has sort of entered into uh, the popular imagination of the uh, listening public the way it has.
0: And this piece is so popular that it's been imitated several times. I mean, there's a a rock version of Mars, The Bringer War, done by Emerson, Lake, and Powell. And then there's three different jazz versions of the planets. Mm -hmm. One that, as I recall, Jeremy Levy's jazz orchestra uh, did a kind of a big band arrangement of the entire planet suite, and he got a Grammy for it. Mm. And then there's even Ryan Skow's trio, which is kind of an obscure Kind of a new on-the-spot jazz group that uh, kind of did a more Thelonious Monk approach to it, and then there's even a Duke Ellington version of the Planets as well, done by the Echoes of Ellington Jazz Orchestra, and there's even a like a couple of synthesizer versions, yeah. So and and, and there's even like um, even even Holst arranged it for two pianos as well too.
1: Yeah, probably a sort of a practical matter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You can't always get eighty people together for your. Um, for your piece, uh, you know, Holst writes this piece um, in the nineteen teens, so basically throughout World War One, mm-hmm. um, and uh, certainly, um, you know, he's an English composer. He's uh, born uh, sort of on the Welsh border, but spends mm-hmm. most of his life as um, a music teacher in London, and uh, um, but he certainly these chords that he uses mm-hmm. are, are very thick a lot of them uh, I wouldn't say they sound jazzy exactly but if you take Mm -hmm. sort of any given snapshot at a certain time you can definitely see how those particular harmonies would translate well to a jazz yeah context Mm -hmm. and um you know it doesn't sound like Brahms or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, even though orchestrationally it has the same kind of romantic quality that you know other sort of big late romantic people like Mahler or something have.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And with The Planets, it's also influenced numerous film composers as well. And there's even like three different film composers that have conducted this particular piece, like Andre Previn, Bernard Herrmann, and even John Williams with the Boston Pops. And this particular piece has influenced John Williams, thus of why the planets is part of this. And then there was the previous John Williams concert.
1: Yeah. That was sort of a tie this season where we're mm-hmm. opening with John Williams and now we're closing with the planets. And, um, particularly Jupiter is the one that seems to have, uh, uh, invaded star Wars a little bit. <laughs> and, yep. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. In, in a very influential piece. Um, Mars uh, is used as part of the score for Super Mario Bros.
0: 3. Uh, so, uh,
1: yeah, it's, it's definitely a piece that has
0: legs. And here are a few movements from The Planet Suite by Gustav Holtz. Let's listen in. Welcome back. This is KGPR Great Falls at 89.9 FM. I am Matt Donnelly, and here in the studio with me is Grant Harville from the Great Falls Symphony. Thanks,
1: Matt. It's good to be here as always.
0: And we just heard a piece described by Holt's friend and fellow composer, Rayvon Williams, as the perfect equilibrium of the mystic and melodic sides of the composer's nature.
1: Yeah, yeah you know, he was... Um, it, an interesting guy in some ways because in some, uh, he had this very sort of practical part of his life. As I said before, he, you know, Monday through Friday, he was a music teacher at a school at St. Paul's girls school and also at a kind of what we would call sort of a community college in London. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this piece, the planets took him, uh, about five years to write. Mm-hmm. And part of that was cause it was mostly a weekend gig that he was doing in between his other duties. Um, and, uh, so he had this kind of, um, side of him which was very kind of uh, practical because it needed to be a sort of day-to-day life kind of uh, thing a little bit like Ives mm-hmm. but he also had this these interests um, as I say astrology uh, he's very interested in um, sort of Eastern um, cultures he he knew enough Sanskrit to do some translating and things like that and there's mm-hmm. some pieces that he wrote on Sanskrit uh, texts Um but that, that was not an uncommon thing at the time. In fact, the other piece on the program that we're doing is also reflective of uh, some of these interests in, uh, that Europeans have had probably forever uh, mm-hmm. in the sort of Eastern world as well.
0: And I know that Holst and Vaughn Williams are like close enough to be brothers almost, his friends.
1: Yeah, they're, they're sort of part of that same generation. Um, you know, the last uh, concert we did in February, we did a piece by Charles Villiers Stanford, mm-hmm. um, who... Uh, was one of the first sort of major influential music teachers in London. And mm. uh, and he has his sort of grubby fingers over uh, all of the composers of the ensuing generations, including people like uh, Holst.
0: And we have another piece that is going to be performed as we arrive back on Earth, and this time it is by a composer who has a famous sister.
1: Yeah, and um, yeah, as I sort of alluded to, it's another piece that... Um, uh, is influenced by this notion that um uh you know Europeans have always had sort of looking to the east and finding sort of um uh interesting um uh culture and uh, philosophy uh, from mm-hmm. that source not always necessarily um with total accuracy or anything like that but uh Uh, generally a source of interest, and uh, we're talking about Lily Boulanger, Mm -hmm. a Parisian composer. Uh, Matt, as you say, her sister is in some ways more famous. Nadia, um, who was a music teacher in Paris, and all the American composers, sort Mm -hmm. of a rite of passage, people like Copland and Hailstark and stuff like that would Mm -hmm. go over to Paris uh, for their dutiful year or two uh, with Nadia, or longer potentially. But uh, Lily... um, One of the reasons we talk about her less is that she died very young. She Mm -hmm. died when she was 24. Uh, She's Nadia's younger sister. Um, There's almost this weird, uh, like she's sort of this weird Victorian stereotype of this (laughs) sort of young woman who's sort of always wasting away of disease. Um, Mm. You know, she was sort of constantly sick, and um, in some ways it's – remarkable that she sort of made it as long as she did or sort of always uh having health problems um she came both boulangers obviously came from um a strong musical family um who was involved with the paris conservatory for like a century mm-hmm. uh, uh, before uh nadia and Lily co- came along and um she if you read her bio the thing they'll always say is she's the first woman to win the Prix de rome which is this mm-hmm. um very prestigious um Uh, composition competition uh, at the Paris Conservatory. Um, But, uh, yeah, what's really remarkable about her is that uh, just prodigiously talented, the fact that within 24 years she was able to produce not that many pieces, about 25 total, but they're so interesting and so uh, well-made and so creative and so sort of fully formed, Um, you know, very few composers reach that level by any age mm-hmm. and, and uh, she did so at a very young age so um the piece we're playing is one that i've liked for a long time it's uh called the old buddhist prayer Ooh. and as i say if you actually look at the text there's it's not as buddhist as you might think based on the title it's mm-hmm. uh, the subtitle is uh, a prayer for the whole universe okay. and um and it's a uh, in that sense it's very sort of ecumenical it's uh You know, let everything that breathes um, uh, uh, without enemies, without obstacles, um, avoid pain and uh, reach joy and find, uh, let each find their own way that is destined for them. And um, it's another piece that has a very large orchestra. It's one of the Mm -hmm. reasons we're doing it on this program, too. It's one where... um, like a lot of French composers over time, uh, uses large forces, you know, Debussy and Ravel also used yep. really large orchestras too. And this is very much sort of uh, within that school of composition. Um, but it's also just a gorgeous piece. And uh, I think the, the main thing I think that audiences will notice about it is that it has a kind of mantra-like quality. The melodies tend to sort of chant on a single note for a lot of it, mm-hmm. and the, um, the real power of it comes from the orchestration, um, the very sort of thick, rich, kind of monumental orchestration, mm-hmm. but also these sort, of gen- these sort of gradual builds, and so it's another piece that, like the Holst, mm-hmm. really sort of um, uh, makes you sit back in your chair a little bit with uh, the size of it. Um, it's it also, by coincidence, is written at the exact same time Really, uh, as wow. the planets was. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so thus, there's a connection between the two pieces that are going to be performed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and as I said uh, at the beginning of the program here, that it's um, they're uh, they're both sort of heavenly looking, right? You know, the planets. Where mm-hmm. we're talking about how the planets influence human behavior, and and here we're talking about a prayer that's uh, for the entire universe. So these are both,
0: uh, um, yeah. Uh, very largely encompassing pieces. And here is Old Buddhist Prayer by Lily Boulanger. Let's listen
2: in. Oh,
0: come back. This is KGPR Great Falls at 89.9 FM. I'm Matt Donnelly and here in the studio with me is music director and conductor of the Great Falls Symphony, Grant Harville.
1: Yeah, good to be back, Matt.
0: And we have a concert coming up next Saturday and can you tell us any information about uh the times and everything that's going to be involved? Yeah, of
1: course. Uh so yeah, April 29th, 7:30 at the Mansfield Theater, our usual time and place. Um, and again, just two pieces on the program, although that'll be plenty of work for us, the mm-hmm. uh, Boulanger Old Buddhist Prayer and the, the Full Planet Suite by Gustav Holst. So um, happy to have uh, all uh, anyone and everyone attend. So if you're interested in coming, yeah, uh, the best thing to do is
0: to f- uh, head to gfsymphony.org and try to get here on time before the great fall symphony goes into goes blast off into the universe as they explore the planets
1: right right uh yeah um t minus something or other i'm not sure what it is (laughs) at this point but uh no it'll be um yeah a really enjoyable program if you haven't heard the boulanger i I think uh, you'll really like that piece and um and and uh, yeah, the Holst is just one of those pieces that, as I said earlier, you know, it's one that I've known since I was a kid. And it's uh, a lot of people kind of uh, come to orchestra music through that piece.
0: And it's one of the very few classical pieces that actually has a fade out.
1: Yeah, that's, and that's an interesting thing. Like what we were talking before, you know, Neptune is the mystic. And one of the ways that that happens is that it's sort of the, the women's chorus, the wordless women's chorus, mm-hmm. um, at the end they just sing two sort of alternating chords and they get quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. It's actually a really difficult thing to pull off in performance mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it's easy to do on a recording. You know, a lot of popular music has fade-outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just turn the dial down. But um, to do that sort of acoustically in real life takes some real work. And so, uh, you know, where do we put the choir... Um, How do we get them to, you know, combination of shutting doors and turning Mm -hmm. around and walking away to actually get that fade out to work is uh, actually a kind of interesting logistical challenge. But uh, um,
0: it's worth it. It's such a glorious way to end the piece. And we have a tenor singer that's going to come in and sing the Boulanger piece.
1: Yeah, John Harney, who's uh, based uh, down in Bozeman. And um, he's been up here before, and... uh, Really looking forward to having him. It's not a huge tenor solo, but it's a really important one. It's got this kind of, um, uh, you know, when you have a prayer, having a preacher is Mm -hmm. something that you often have. And it's got this really sort of clarion ringing quality to it that I'm sure he'll Mm. do a great job on.
0: And once again, any information about this concert? Oh, just happy to see you
1: there again. Uh, April twenty ninth, Saturday night, seven thirty at the Mansfield, and head to GFsymphony.org for more information.
0: And one more thing, I want to add about the planets piece that uh, not only is it one of the few classical pieces ever having to fade, ever having to f- to fade out uh, quietly towards the end, along with like Haydn's Farewell Symphony and and a few others, but other composers have tried to pick up where the planets have left off since uh, Pluto was then discovered. And then other composers even did like they paid homage to like some of the new planets have been discovered and even some asteroids.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, uh... You know, the skies uh, have always been inspiration uh, Mm -hmm. for composers. You know, there's the Colin Matthews piece that that Pluto was sort of intended for uh, to sort of go along with this suite in some ways. Um, You can't do that piece. You have to end with Neptune. It's Mm -hmm. just such a perfect (laughs) ending. So uh, um, apologies to Colin on on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many pieces that are about um, stars and Mm -hmm. skies and Um, that, uh, but I think that's a general human thing, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, looking up can be a very, uh, kind of inspirational experience and that's no different for composers.
0: And it's, like I said, there's just so much possibilities that a lot of composers have been inspired by the the universe and, and looking up at the sky for inspiration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you have any closing thoughts about this concert? No, just, uh,
1: should be lots of fun and always happy to come in and talk with you about it.
0: Excellent. Once again, I'm Matt Donnelly, and here in the studio with me is music director and conductor for the Great Falls Symphony, Grant Harville. And as always, it's a pleasure seeing you again.
1: Yeah, great to be here, Matt.
0: And this is KGPR Great Falls at 89.9 FM.